Hey, good morning. You're listening to Breakfast Bites, and I'm Felicia King. Today, I'm going to talk about policies and how they relate to information security and cybersecurity. Why is this a thing that we need to even talk about? Isn't this the thing that the IT people do? Like, isn't that their purview? Well, actually, information security and cybersecurity is the responsibility of the entire organization. And that is part of the problem here is that the majority of organizations don't actually have policies and they don't convey to the staff what those policies are. So people don't know what their roles and responsibilities are. And if everyone is actually responsible for information security and cybersecurity, and especially resource owners, and then there's no policies to assist everybody being on the same page or even knowing what we're going to do about what, well, this is where it all falls down. So let's get an understanding about first the difference between information security and cybersecurity. And then we can talk about policies and I'll talk to you about some real world examples you can sink your teeth into. So information security is things like, hmm, uh, you know, Bob needs access to these other folders or Bob needs access to these additional resources. And, you know, Sally is changing roles from uh, one job function. Maybe Sally is leaving marketing and going to the sales department. So that is an information security piece that is related to access management, both of those examples. And access management is super duper important that it's done correctly. In a lot of organizations, it's just not done correctly at all. And the reason it's not done correctly is because there's no policies. So then requests come into the IT department and you know the IT people are just scrambling to try to use their best judgment as to how to handle the request because they don't actually really have any sort of organizational guidance otherwise. You know, they don't know, for example, that these are the five groups that someone who was formerly in marketing no longer needs when marketing is not their role anymore. And then there's these other three groups that that person does need if they've joined the sales department. So the organization has and should, well, they informally have whether or not they know they have them. Organizations have resource owners. So those sales resources are generally going to be designated as owned by someone like the VP of sales. The marketing resources are going to be owned by probably the VP of marketing. So that's where we're talking about who's a resource owner. Then that resource owner is saying, all right, people who do this job function or this role, they need to have this type of access to these resources. So type of access, for example, can be modify rights or read-only rights or no access, right? No access <laughs> is a type of access. And it's generally explicit that if you do not have specified permissions to something, well, then you get the default, which is no access to that resource, right? <laughs> there are some resources though, which are all staff. And those are generally going to be things like a global address list or maybe the all staff distribution list. You know, there are some all staff resources, but those resources, that's still all staff. That's not public. Those aren't public resources. So policies help drive clarity around all of those things. But someone would actually need to sit down and draft a policy 
that says, hey, these marketing resources, who is the resource owner? Okay, the VP of marketing is the resource owner. What's the process going to be whereby a new person is granted access into those marketing resources? Who gets to approve that? Right? Is there a pre-approval process? Is there a two-person checkoff process? What is that process? And you see, this is the problem is in many organizations, the IT department understands how to do role-based access control. And they're trying to do role-based access control. And they're trying to do information security. But then the organization doesn't support those efforts. And unfortunately, the organization frequently looks at the IT department as someone who is an impediment to progress. They'll say, for example, oh, what do you mean? You know, I'm the chief operating officer. I should just be able to request that anybody that I want has access to any resource. That's not a process, right? That's not a process. That's just somebody getting emotional. So, you know, policies help everyone. Now, as that information security policy is actually executed properly, you get cybersecurity as an outcome. <laughs> yes, you do. So, for example, let's take Bob again. Um, Bob's on vacation, except IT doesn't know that. And then maybe somebody has hacked Bob's mailbox. So the bad guys go and send IT an email. And that email is saying, hey, I need access to all the sales folders. Even though Bob was in marketing, for example. Well, what's the process? If IT has a process because they have a policy, because there is an organizationally adopted policy for access management, then IT will, will execute that process and will escalate that request to the appropriate people. And those other people will be like, well, hey, Bob doesn't need access to that stuff. And what the heck? Bob's on vacation. And next thing you know, uh, that whole malicious expansion of rights by the bad guys has been thwarted. So you have cybersecurity as an outcome of good information security coupled by humans following policies, humans following processes, good design, and uh, good technical controls. Okay, so that's your relationship there between information security and cybersecurity. So cybersecurity is more in the realm of technical controls, things like, oh, let's take another example. So most organizations, when they are getting breached, they're getting breached through a vector that originated from some sort of email. Okay, so you know, we want to have really good email filtering first off, and then we want to have really good web content filtering. But we also want to do testing of staff and provide them training. So there is a concept called cybersecurity awareness training, and then there is another concept called phishing testing and phishing training. So most is cybersecurity insurance policies now require a regular periodicity of 
cybersecurity awareness training and phishing testing and phishing training for all organizations, no matter their size. And no matter their size is quite relevant because, you know, if you're looking at, say, 85% of breaches are coming through a, an email vector, this becomes a pretty darned big factor. Now, a lot of other breaches are coming through social engineering. Well, the only way you can deal with social engineering is if staff are trained. You know, they need to be trained so that they can avoid problems. So cybersecurity awareness training, phishing testing and phishing training, here's what this is basically about, is um, people receive um, test fishes. And it, the system determines whether or not the staff is clicking on those and engaging those or if they just hit the delete button. And in some organizations, the policy may say that those things should be reported for, you know, phishing analysis by the IT department, right? That, so each organization needs to decide on something like that. And the policy needs to be talking also about how, what is that periodicity? Are we going to have a, a fully automated system? Is IT going to be driving that system? You know, exactly what is the process the that the organization follows? And the, the, another factor as to why you have to have policies and processes is because when you fill out a cybersecurity insurance application, you say, yeah, we have this stuff. If you can't prove that you have that stuff, and if you cannot articulate in writing in a very rapid fashion when called upon, what exactly did your program consist of? Right. What exactly did your cybersecurity awareness program, your uh, phishing testing and phishing training program, what exactly did they consist of? How frequently were you doing it? Does it produce a report? Where did the report go? Who reviews the report? Right. This is all stuff that should be included in your policy, because then when you get a compliance request, whether that compliance request is from the insurance company or it's from, let's say, a very important customer that says, we can't do business with you until you demonstrate to us that you have these appropriate efforts in place, you know, efforts and technical controls and policies. And generally, organizations are not deemed to be taken seriously if they don't have a policy. Right, so if your organization right now does not have a written business continuity disaster recovery policy, you're not going to be taken seriously. If you don't have a written and vetted incident response plan, your organization is not going to be taken seriously. You know, and I could go down a whole litany of policies like that. So policies take time, they take effort, but they're exceptionally meaningful. So back to the cybersecurity awareness testing and training, the uh, you know, this, these efforts go on and they raise awareness of issues. And if a staff person does actually click on a fish, then they will be provided some immediate training. And for example, it'll say, uh oh, you know, you clicked on a fish. Let's get you through some training. And then that person will probably be refished by the system in some more uh, frequent periodicity than you know the normal periodicity. For example, it, it may uh, it may engage just 
in the next week, for example, uh, because the person was fished. So that's a great example of that. But then that pulls into reports. Somebody ought to be looking at those reports. And if you have a staff person who is just repeatedly clicking on a bunch of fishes, then that is indicating to you that that person has a high risk profile and needs some additional training. Now, where does the HR policies, you know, where does, where do they support this whole effort? Well, it should be in every single employment contract and it should be as part of the performance review of every single employee. And the reason I think it should be in the performance review and it should be in the HR handbook and even uh, is, you know, in the job offer is because a, an employment contract, it should state that it is, you know, every employee's responsibility to participate in cybersecurity and information security training. And it is their responsibility to be aware of policies and to conduct themselves in accordance with the policies. And the success of an organization is so deeply tied to those items. That's why I feel strongly that it should be in every job offer. It should certainly be in the, in the employment contract. Uh, it should be in the HR handbook. And that these efforts uh, should probably flow down through to performance appraisals as well. And, you know, and you could say, oh, well, you know, that's just a check the box exercise for people. Well, that's fine. Right. That's fine. Yes. You better check the box on that. <laughs> you better be doing something to ensure that as the executive management team, you have communicated out through the entire organization that the organization is very attuned to the efficacy of information security and cybersecurity efforts based upon the day-to-day -day efforts of the entire team. It's not an IT problem. Okay, I'm going to reiterate that. Information security and cybersecurity is not an IT problem. It is an everyone problem. Everyone in the entire organization is responsible for those two things. Uh, let's take another couple practical examples. So uh, let's say IT comes to the facilities manager and IT says, hey, I noticed that there is uh, an HVAC controller that is exposed to the internet, like any external. And uh, for some additional information, that means any external is not just resources in the United States, but resources in the entire world. And that there is no multi-factor authentication for this access and it's wide open. So, you know, there's a lot of problems there. You know, one problem is that there is no cybersecurity insurance policy on the planet that is going to allow that type of configuration because there's no relationship between that configuration and uh, good configuration management, which, uh, by the way, uh, there's, a, there's an organization called the Center, uh, Center for Internet Security, CIS. Uh, they're a fantastic organization, and they have uh, a whole bunch of resources. And one of those resources that they've published recently was the cyber defense model, um, cyber maturity defense model version two. And they have a sweet pivot table in that thing. And in that pivot table, it shows the relationship between CIS controls, such as good configuration management, 
and how many of the attack techniques in the MITER attack framework that are mitigated or managed, the risk of those things are managed by that CIS control. So take CIS control 41, it's either 42, 412, I think it's 412. I'm going from memory here. And I think that that one handles approximately 342 uh, risks, uh, uh, attack techniques from the uh, MITRE attack framework. Wowzers, okay, and uh, it's ranked number one, right? So, so good configuration management is ranked number one. So if you're running through life and wondering, gee, you know, what can we do to be more secure so we don't get hacked? Well, there's your answer right there, right? The Cyber Maturity Defense Model 2.0 says, Good configuration management right there at the tippy top of the list. So then you get the IT department coming to the facilities director and says, hey, you know, did you know your HVAC unit is like exposed to the entire Internet? That's a problem. And so here's where the whole thing falls down is if the facilities director or the facilities manager perceives that that is an IT problem, that is the problem. Because that's not an IT problem. That's an organizational problem. And I'm just going to skip aside the whole factor of what could actually happen damage-wise to the organization if that HVAC system is remotely hacked and destroyed. What I will say, though, is that clearly, hopefully, any critical thinking, logically oriented person would understand that unauthorized access is unacceptable, right? Unauthorized access is unacceptable. So that configuration that has the HVAC system open to the entire world is not a defensible configuration. And for those lawyers of you out there, you know what I mean in terms of defensibility. There is no way that anyone could argue that that configuration, which with ha the having the HVAC system open to the entire world is something that in a court of law or even in an arbitration hearing could be argued is demonstrable of due care, due diligence. And so if the responsibility ultimately flows up to the executive management team and the board of directors, well, how do we solve these problems? Well, the first thing we have to do is we need a policy, right? We need a configuration management policy. And that policy needs to say that the facilities director is that resource owner. And then it needs to say that the IT department is going to work with that resource owner to define an appropriate policy as to who needs access to that resource, how and when they need access to that resource. And then no one else will be granted access to that resource. It, the policy also needs to say, what is the access granting process? So let's say that group of individuals who do need legitimate access to that resource changes. Okay, what's the process to handle that? And then it's up to the cybersecurity people to determine what the technical controls are. Now, notice what I said there. I did not say that it is up to IT to determine what the technical controls for that risk 
management of the access management is. That is generally something that most IT people are not as deeply skilled at as they should be if they're going to engineer that solution. They can absolutely conduct themselves in accordance with the policy once that solution has been engineered. But that engineering of that solution that achieves that balance of the resource owner and the people that the resource owner grants to have access, what type of access, when, how, who, okay, that resource owner is defining those things. It is the job of like a cybersecurity architect to design what that's going to look like. Because then that cybersecurity architect, and typically I would argue that should be the CISO, that that CISO needs to turn that back into that policy. And it, that CISO also needs to relate that into the cybersecurity risk management and cybersecurity insurance policy attestation for that organization. So if that all sounds like that's complicated, that whole like cybersecurity piece, it is. It's ridiculously complicated. That's what I do for a living. Okay. And it's really hard. But the whole policy stuff, uh, you know, who should be writing the first draft of the policy? Well, IT could, or the cybersecurity people could be writing the first draft of that policy. They need to do so with the collaborative efforts of the resource owner. So here's where it gets interesting. What if that resource owner just absolutely refuses to engage? Well, that's a major problem. And that's a problem that the executive management team needs to handle because ultimately responsibility for the security posture of the organization and the compliance with other policies like information or uh, cybersecurity insurance policies that the, the organization has contractually agreed to or uh, different federal regulations, uh, different state regulations regulations, you know, all of those things are the executive management's responsibility to make sure that the organization is operating in compliance with those contractual obligations, you know, and those legal obligations. So when you have a situation where a resource owner just refuses to engage with IT in a collaborative, proactive fashion, then executive management needs to step in and they need to say, hey, this is what we need to do. We need to build a policy. We can't build a policy without you, resource owner. We need you, resource owner, to get involved. Have an open heart, open mind, have conversations with IT about exactly, you know, again, who needs to have appropriate access, what's defined, you know, what defines appropriate access, when do they need to have access to it, what is the access granting process, you know, and a variety of other things. And yes, IT can write the first draft of that, but then that needs to be going to the executive management team for review and approval and then distribution to everyone who needs to be aware of that policy. And notice I did not say read. So an organization does not require that everyone reads every policy. What the organization should be requiring is that the organization ensures that all staff are aware of where the policies are, what policies exist, and how to go find them so they can go look up what the contents are of that policy. 
So that is just, uh, that's one fantastic uh, example. Uh, let me wrap up the show with another really good example of um, where policy turns into uh, satisfied people with the appropriate access granted and that uh, appropriate cybersecurity controls are applied. So in another example, let's say you've got uh, an internal business person who, oh, they have different needs for web access. So they, they need a different policy for web content filtering brought to them uh, for their job function versus general staff, for example. And one of the things that's very unhelpful is when that person is, let's say, a higher level member of an organization, and then they come to IT, and they come to IT telling IT what they want to have as an outcome uh, in terms of actual technical delivery, uh, such as, uh, you know, a good request would be, uh, hey, my job function is different, and I need to have access to these resources. Would you please figure out a way to get me access to those resources while still being secure and being in compliance with the company's policy. Okay. That is a wonderful request. I would applaud you if you as an end user or as a, as a manager came forward with such a well-crafted request. On the other hand, what we oftentimes see that's very unhelpful and unproductive and um, it makes people grumpy is when somebody comes forward and says, well, you need to just do X, Y, Z. And so they're very directing about what the actual technical solution or the technical controls are going to be or the way in which their needs will be fulfilled from a technical specificity. So the problem with that is that those technical approaches frequently conflict with what actually needs to happen. So then the IT people look at it and certainly the cybersecurity people look at it and go like, uh, no, that's... That's a problem. We, we can't do that. So now there's a conflict because the person who did the original requesting was not doing that requesting in accordance with the policy. Was it their fault? Now, I would argue in a lot of cases, no, because there is no policy. Oh, my gosh, you're hearing a theme song. <laughs> we need to actually have some policies here, right? So one of the other fun things that a policy can do is the policy can say, hey, when this type of a request comes up, then this is how it should be handled. Now it is no longer a source of conflict between IT and the requester. It is then instead just something that we say, ah, look, we have this policy. The executive management team is on board with this policy. They've approved it. It has been distributed to all staff. And even if that staff member who was the requester did not request things in accordance with that policy, now IT has the ability to say, ah, let me redirect you to the policy. Here is the policy. And we cannot do what it is that you've requested because <clears throat> doing so would be a violation of the company security policy. And let me refer you to that policy. And that policy says we can't do these things. And this is why. So we're not just saying no. We're saying here's why. So you can now be part of the solution about being involved in the information security posture and the cybersecurity posture of the organization. Because remember, everyone is responsible for information security. It is not an IT problem. 
It is an everyone problem. In many cases, well-trained employees, well-trained staff can be the solution to a problem that would have gone larger. I've had many circumstances where I was uh, engaging with somebody where they would, I'd be talking to them on the phone and they would be describing to me some weird behavior. I'm like, oh, so between them describing weird behavior to me and my, you know, 30 years of IT experience, be like, well, ooh, this is what I think is actually going on. Now we can get to the bottom of what is going on. So if that person had not been aware and attentive and willing to share and to explain what it was that they had experienced and saying, this is unusual. My computer doesn't normally do that. You know, my email doesn't normally do that. You know, whatever it is, it doesn't normally do that. That is weird. That's we think that's a problem. If the end user isn't doing that, there may not actually be any other detection mechanism than that. So information security is everyone's responsibility. That's it for today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm Felicia King and talk to you uh, next month.